You're listening to The Rant. Please go away. Let me sleep for the love of God. I am Kamala Harris. My pronouns are she and her. I am a woman sitting at the table wearing a blue suit. You're listening. So the best way to get something done, if you, if it holds near and dear to you that you uh, um, like to be able to... Anyway. You fucking crazy man. You sound insane. Do you realize that? To, to the rant. I speak jive. Oh, good. I've been saying it. I've been saying it for 10 damn years. Ain't I been saying it, Miguel? Huh? I've been saying it. You are listening to The Rant with David King. Welcome to this episode of The Rant. I am your host, David King, and it's good to be here with you. On this February 1st, we're already one month through 2023. I hope 2023 has been good to you so far. And hopefully, if you made any New Year's resolutions, you're holding fast to them. This is part six of the Walking Dead special. If you've been following with me along up to this point, we are all already through season six. If you have not heard uh, any episode of the walking dead special, you can go back <clears throat> to wherever you get your podcast. Generally speaking, you probably will see them uh, in the, in the menu where you get them and either it's Apple, Spotify, Google, or you can go to our player at the website and listen to past walking dead specials where one, two, one through five are there. Uh, you can catch up by watching those or listening to those first, uh, or you can just jump right in and listen here. It's completely up to you. This is an 11 part series where we go through each season of the walking dead. And this is part six. I'm happy to be here guys. Uh, great evening. I had a good day today. Uh, I smoked a brisket and it was good not to get off topic. But it was good. So today was a good day for me. I hope you had a good day today, too. Uh, so let's get into it, because there's a lot to talk about. This was a very interesting season. Uh, season six sort of begins where season five left off, but it's a bit of a mixture. So it doesn't completely start up right where it left off. Um, you have some past and present scenes. Mostly some time has passed, though. And right now, the group is currently trying to figure out what to do about a massive herd of zombies that they have discovered in a nearby quarry. And so basically see episode one is just kind of the explanation of how they found the quarry, you know, things that have led up to that point, the process, the planning, the doubting, a lot of the uh, existing Alexandria members. Uh, we start to see new Alexandria members, ones we didn't see in the previous season. Uh, I guess pr probably because these folks were all out on some sort of, uh, material run. So they were gone for an extended period of time, which is quite interesting when I think about that, because 
you know, <clears throat> one of the things about this season is we're introduced to a lot of new groups, like new communities. And a lot of the folks of Alexandria, <clears throat> including Aaron, who was the one who found Rick's group wandering around on the street, you know, it's interesting to note that they've not come across any of these communities before. And it kind of leads me back to my arg- my argument with uh, about how in, in the previous seasons where, you know, people were wandering around for months on end uh, and never found the prison or never stumbled across uh, Woodbury or the governor or any of his people out and about. It seems like all of these communities were pretty close. You, you'd think they would run into each other by now, but Alexandria, as far as we know, has never come across Hilltop, never come across the, the saviors or anyone else for that matter. And yet they are all within a reasonable driving distance, about seven miles, seven or 10 minutes away. I can't remember if you said it was seven miles away or if it was seven to 10 minutes away. Uh, but it's is kind of an interesting situation, but anywho, uh, so episode one, not to get off subject and go too far off where we're at. This is all about them finding this gigantic, massive horde of zombies in the quarry. Uh, it's like nothing they've ever seen. Um, thankfully though, right at the, this moment, the zombies, uh, cannot escape, not least in mass a, they can only kind of trickle out, but Rick is starting to notice that the barriers, uh, which are trucks, um, are starting to kind of give way. And eventually what will happen is that will lead to all of them escaping and coming towards Alexandria. At least that's Rick's fear. If they all escape, then they'll definitely swarm and it'll be, make, it'll make it very difficult to go outside the gate <clears throat> and look for, you know, food supplies and whatnot. And so the first episode is essentially uh, this group, the group coming up with a very ridiculous and probably very improbable plan um, and the idea that you could, the idea that you could lure a herd of, of this magnitude in any direction without groups breaking off is a little bit much in my opinion, but here we are. And, and I understand the idea of the scene. It, it, it is to show how competent Rick is over most of the people of Alexandria. It shows how he's a, a natural leader. Um, it's building his rapport with the Alexand the people of Alexander, Alexandria, and, you know, and showing that he's really the leader that they need. Um, but as fans, we, we kind of know that we already know this already. We don't really need to be told. Uh, she, we don't really need to be told, uh, you know, where Rick is at in terms of his leadership. Um, you know, season, season five really, and we don't really need to be told about how incompetent the people of Alexandria are because season five really showed us just how incompetent they all really are. I mean, these, they literally act like people prior to the apocalypse. It's like, cause as if it never even happened, um, you know what I mean? These, these people have, it, it is as if the, they've never stepped out of their home after the zombie apocalypse and everything was normal within their four walls. Uh, and that leads them in a very vulnerable position. And you could say like, that's a luxury or they're very lucky to not have to go through what Rick and the others had gone through. You think about the journey that Rick and his group have been through. Um, they've kind of been through hell and back. So you could look at the people of Alexandria and see them as kind of lucky. But, you know, this is the new world. And, and it takes and it takes joy in destroying people, um, especially the ones that are living in Alexandria. It preys on those types of people, the people that are they're ignorant and they're not stupid people. They just don't know and they have no idea what they're getting into. 
And so no amount of metal walls, you know, or protection is going to keep this new world from getting to them. And, you know, we're going to see that very soon. And so in episode two, we see this dragon of chaos once again rear its ugly head as a group of psychopaths called the wolves breach Alexandria. And the wolves are pretty terrifying enemy as far as I'm concerned. And, and as they don't, you know, they don't really seem to have much of a plan. There's, there's really, there's no real goal involved with them except to basically loot and pillage. And I'm not even so sure that looting is um, necessarily top on their list. It seems to me that they're more interested in the pillaging part. Um, and, you know, an enemy such as this is very dangerous because there's no reasoning with these people. There's no reasoning with the wolves because you can't create diplomacy or terms amongst a group of people who literally have no plan other than to create literally as much destruction and chaos in as little amount of time as possible. And that's basically what the wolves do. And they're not interested in taking Alexandria for themselves, at least not by my, my examination. They don't seem to be interested in their supplies as much, uh, at least not all of them. Instead, what we see is them attacking everyone and not, and not just killing them, but hacking them to pieces. In other words, it's just this utter, you know, chaos. It's, I'm not just going to kill you. I'm going to, you know, I'm going to destroy you. Um, and this, this is, this is very much a group of psychopaths. There's, there's no reasoning with them. They must be taken out or they will take you out. Um, they are the purest representation, in my opinion, of the new world. It's just chaotic and malevolent behavior set out to make your life a living hell just before it takes it. And that's basically what the new world is. And it shows really that Alexandria is no paradise. Not really on the surface level. Um, it is, but it actually may be more of a burden because Alexandria has something everybody wants and something worth fighting for. And that's, you know, a potential future, the infrastructure, everything like that. And so, you know, if you want peace, you're going to have to prepare for war because a lot of people, including the wolves to some degree are coming to take that from you. And I think that's really what this season's really all about. It's, it's kind of building up to this great war. And these wolf, the wolves attack. So the wolves, they attack Alexandria. And of course it's, it's a while it's of course, while the group is out trying to lure the walkers away. So they're not fully armed and prepared and the wolves, uh, attack and they try to drive a truck through the wall, which is interesting. So at one point you start to see this big semi barreling towards the wall and you know, further, in my opinion, proving that they have no interest in taking that place for themselves, but really just destroying it and leaving it to the dead. Because if you wanted to take Alexandria, you wouldn't drive a truck through the wall and destroy the, the very thing that defends it from the outside world. Uh, and that just shows me that these, these guys are not interested in, in taking this place for themselves. They're just here to create a living hell for everyone living inside. Um, the truck gets shot up and the driver hits a uh, hits the burn a burned down chapel. I believe it's a chapel. It's some sort of building outside the wall. Thankfully, not taking the wall out, but the dead driver does lay on the horn, which attracts a major portion of the horde towards Alexandria. And this is kind of the way the season, the episode one ends. Out of nowhere, there's a horn going off, and it starts to break away the horde and every and breaking the group trying to lead them away. It's like, what's going on? Where's that sound coming from? Oh, it's cool from Alexandria. What's going on? So they're trying to double back. And then this second episode kind of cuts to what's going on here. It's showing us what's happening back at Alexandria while they're all 
out and about doing, you know, doing that mission. Uh, the wolves uh, are so the wolves, the wolves, which is what this group's called, are mostly taken out. Uh, they're mostly taken out by, by the, by the residents. Mostly um, Morgan takes a few. I don't even actually think Morgan kills any of them. Carol gets a lot of them. Uh, so, but Morgan does chase a few off. Now he could have killed them, but you know, he has some new moral code not to kill. Don't worry more on that very soon. Don't you can, I'll talk about that, but, but they run off out of Alexandria. So Morgan had them. He could have done something about it, but he let them go. And while the other group outside is trying to double back and figure out what is going on, Glenn Michonne, Glenn and Michonne are racing to get their group back but gets split up trying to lure the herd away. Marshone and her group get trapped in a pet store, which by the way, I appreciate the details in this store as gruesome as they are. Uh, as you can see, all the little animals that were caged are now dead and still in their cages. I guess no one thought to let them out or save them, but, or eat them for that matter. And so when you go in there, you see the sad reality that, you know, the people were not the only things affected by this apocalypse, but mostly but animals too, especially ones that we would consider pets that we would take care of. They are no longer being taken care of. We actually saw this a few seasons ago and I think it was kind of a representation or symbolic, some symbolic representation. You see where the owner had a caged bird in the house. He opened up the cage door to let the bird out because he probably knew he was going to die or he couldn't take care of it. But you see very clearly at the bottom of the, the cage on the floor, the bird dies like, so a bird actually never leaves the cage. And so there's some kind of symbolism to that as well. I believe it's not lost on me, but you see this, that, that sort of thing there as well. So animals too were definitely affected in all this, especially the ones that were our pets. Uh, Meanwhile, Glenn and Nicholas end up not being able to set the distraction that they wanted to. They were going to burn down a feed store um, in hopes that it would attract the horde away from the group and hopefully away from Alexandria too. But unfortunately, they the, the feed store had already burned down. Unfortunately, oh, sweet irony. And they get trapped by the walkers on top of a dumpster. And so they're standing on top of this dumpster. They're surrounded on both sides. <clears throat> Nicholas, I guess, it loses his mind, thanks Glenn, and then blows his brains out which pulls both them down into the horde below. Now from here, we think Glenn is killed because naturally that's what would happen. There's no way anyone is getting out of that situation in reality. And yet, you know, we'll later on, we will find out Glenn makes it, but whatever. I actually really hate this scene because the reality is you wrote your characters into a corner and you never really want to do this. I don't think it's good writing. Um, You never want to, if you're going to put your characters in dangerous situations, you have to be willing to let them die. And that can be hard because you don't want certain characters to die. And so what you'll do is you'll avoid putting them into situations that there's really no chance for them to make it out. And that's what they did here. They really pinned them in a corner. The likelihood that Glenn doesn't even get bit or scratched by accident during this whole entire scene is nearly impossible. So I I don't like it. I don't like it because... And also to his reaction, it makes it seem as if he's being torn apart. So they emphasized him screaming and you're thinking, oh man, this, this, he's, he's going to, he's dying. But you know, this scene ends up making you just kind of roll your eyes or shrug a little because 
at, at the time, it doesn't feel cheesy. At the time, it feels like if you're new to the show and you've never seen the scene before, you're going to think, oh my gosh, Glenn's dead. This is horrible. And so in that regard, the scene is fine because it makes you believe that Glenn didn't make it out and it's, you know, you feel bad. You start thinking about Maggie and stuff. And, but you'll find out later on that he does it. And that makes the scene very cheesy. Um, and, and then also when you think about it, very unnecessary, you don't really understand why they did this. This scene doesn't seem to have a much of a payoff. Um, Nicholas, I think would have had a better character arc if maybe he sacrificed himself to save Glenn in a much more believable manner. And, and you could say maybe that's what he did here. Like he shot himself. So the walkers would go after him. So he's like, I'm going to kill myself and sacrifice myself to save Glenn. You could say he did that. So he could, so Glenn could get away, but, it, but it didn't seem to be his intent. He seemed like he was kind of losing it. Like he was getting really stressed out and freaking out you know, for about a solid minute there and then just kind of snaps and kills himself. And then of course it pulls Glenn down into the walkers with him. So there's really no incl- inclination that, that, um, his Nicholas's motive was actually to sacrifice himself to save Glenn. If that was the case, that, that it definitely was written poorly. At least in my mind, it didn't, it wasn't conveyed that way. To me, it just seems like Nicholas lost it, killed himself. Cause he probably thought there's no way out of this. We're dead. And thank Glenn for, you know, whatever, I guess, helping him to be more, uh, I mean, what did Glenn really do other than not kill him in the woods? But I guess gives it, gave him the confidence. I don't know, but he thanked him. He shot himself, but either way, the scene happened. It shouldn't have happened, but you know, here we are. I would have written that out hundred percent. I know what that was for. That scene is simply for dramatic effect. It is to make you think Glenn is dead. That's the only reason why that scene was put in there. Um, other than that, it really doesn't help the narrative, doesn't really move the story along at all, but here we are. It, and maybe maybe they're setting you up to, I mean, again, this I don't hate this scene. You can make me think Glenn died, but you have to have a believable way of him getting out of it. And the way this scene went down, it's like, no, Glenn, there's no way he doesn't get out of there without at least a scratch because he was literally surrounded and these these zombies piled on top of them. I mean, you're telling me that Nicholas's body laid down perfectly in such a way where they didn't touch him, but they just Nicholas. I mean, give me a break. I'm okay with you making me think that a character's dead and then bringing him back to life. Uh, but you have to do it in a very believable way. And I just don't think they did that here. I don't think it added anything to the story. Didn't help move it along. And it was really just for dramatic effect. And so, but what it, what it ends up doing is just kind of making you go like, what? It doesn't, the dramatic effect is lost because you go, how the hell is that even possible? But Hey, I'm happy he's still alive. Cause we all love Glenn. Glenn's a great character. So it does, it doesn't hurt you as much because you're just happy that he's not actually killed off. Um, but like I said, it happened. So here we are flash over to Rick. He's now in the RV and guess what? Those wolves that Mark Morgan let go just happened to stumble up onto Rick. What are the odds of that? So of all the places that the wolves can ran off to in this vast world that they're living in, they manage to stumble upon Rick in his RV. Rick fights one of them off and then shoots the rest through the thin walls of the RV, which attracts the large herd of zombies and is now coming out of the woods towards him and he has to escape. But wouldn't you know it, the RV won't start. However, will he escape? We'll never know. We'll never know because the show just cuts away and eventually we just see Rick sprinting back towards Alexandria. 
So there's another thing. There was an opportunity there for some drama, an opportunity for to show Rick try to escape this horde. But instead of learning how he gets out of that extremely crazy situation, it just eventually cuts back to him running towards Alexandria about a hundred feet from the gate. And so you, you're like, okay, I guess he just got out of the, the RV and booked it. Fair enough. I guess that's fine, but you don't really get much of an explanation beyond that. And I think there was an opportunity there, certainly a little more interesting opportunity than some of the other things that we've get, we get shown, but that's just me kind of being picky at this point. Um, all this ends with the dead just outside the walls and the group is now stuck inside. Uh, meanwhile, Daryl, Sasha, and Abraham are still leading the rest away, so they're still out and about doing the mission. Glenn is dead, as far as we know, and Michonne and the rest haven't made it back yet either. They're still stuck in town. <clears throat> but, of course, just as you're getting settled in and enjoying the action and the suspense of the wolf attack and the hordes coming down to Alexandria and you're on the edge of your seat, we get something we never asked for or even wanted, and that's Morgan's backstory. Son of a bitch. Why does The Walking Dead do this? I don't know any other show that does this as much as, as The Walking Dead. They so often break off from the main story to tell you a subplot or a completely separate narrative, something that usually could be done in segments of an episode, but instead gets an entire episode dedicated to it. So here we are seeing that you know Morgan has completely lost his mind, which we already knew. And for good reason, he lost his wife and then his son because he couldn't do what he had to do in order to protect them, mainly his son. Um, and this, you know, this goes back to what I've spoke about over the last three or four seasons, which is finding your inner monster. You know, you, here's the fact of the matter, folks. You don't have a choice in your life. None of us do. Either in the real world or this apocalyptic one, you either find it or the world will expose you and take advantage of you. It's just that simple which will leave you broken and half the person you ever were. So you better figure that out and you better figure it out quickly. If you, you know, and these, these are examples. Now these are extreme examples of that, right? Cause we're not in an apocalypse. We're not dealing with zombies. We're not dealing with people who are actively trying to kill us, but we are dealing with problems of our own on a day to day where we have to figure out and do things that are uncomfortable, that make us uncomfortable, that can be very difficult and hard but we stand up and we and we have and we and we do what we have to do because it's the right thing to do. And they're difficult in so many different ways. It's not even necessarily that, you know, in these cases, it's usually fighting someone. In your situation, it may just be being the strongest person in the room when someone's sick and on their deathbed, right? Standing up in the while everyone's kind of at each other's throats because everyone's stressed out because someone in your family's dying, who everyone cares about, you stand up and you're the rock. That's just an example right? You turn off the waterworks, you calm yourself down and you take control of the situation. So you better figure that out and you better do it quickly. Morgan didn't. Okay. And so he lost everything and that ended up taking his mind. And sure you could say, well, he, he gets it back at the end of this episode. And it's like, I, I don't think he did. He, I, don't, I know he didn't. He sure, sure. You know, he's, he's kind of stable now, but all he did as he's buried that, and he buries his, that, that inner monster. He didn't tame it. He didn't take control of it. Instead, what he did is he took his mon- the inner monster, the thing that's overtaken him, and he's buried it and tried to get rid of it, almost reverting back to maybe how he was pre-apocalypse. And that often happens with so many people, even, and even in real life. It's, it's like, yeah, that, that, that guy can, 
you see a guy, he could step up, he could take charge. He, do, he does what needs to be done. He's somebody who's reliable. People look to him and go, yeah, that's a guy I trust. You know, he says what needs to be said. He does what needs to be done. And sometimes they step up and they fail. And that, that can hurt when you fail. It hurts really bad when you fail at anything. But they keep going, and, and maybe they fail again. And it, and it hits them maybe a little bit harder. And that failure was maybe the breaking point. And, and psychologically, they just fall apart. You know, then they no longer step up. They no longer say what must be said. If they're lucky, they become passive. And at worst, they become completely useless. And they fall into this pit of despair. That's what ends up happening. And that's Morgan. He failed too many times and it drove him into chaos. Sure, he found his inner monster, but the monster had control of him. And once he was able to get a hold of it, he threw it in a pit and closed it off. And now he can't make it the tough decisions, period. And that's kind of what you see this entire season with Morgan. He cannot make the tough call. That's why he let the wolves go and locked them in a car, only for those wolves to come back and kill an innocent man and almost kill Daryl and Aaron and then later attack Alexandria, and then later attack Rick. He has suppressed and regressed back into his former state, if not being able, you know, of not being able to do the tough thing out of fear of what it may do to him as a person. But like I said, this is a new world. It either kills you or it turns you into a monster. However, just because you get turned into a monster doesn't mean you cannot control it. The perfect example of this is like someone like Michonne. And in my estimation, Michonne is the perfect example of finding your monster and controlling it. Rick is very close, but Rick has moments where he kind of loses control. We're starting to see that in these last couple of seasons, Rick is literally a teeter-totter right now. He tends to act a little bit more like Shane um, at times, where he is a little sporadic. And But it, I will say, as of this season, he is much calmer and a little bit more locked in. You know, Michonne, she's calm. She's collective. She's thorough in her thinking. And she tends to make the better decisions. She has her emotions. And you can see the pain that she goes through. But she can harness it and she can use it to push on. This is what it means to find your inner monster and tame it. Use it when necessary for good and for the good of others and yourself and never in malevolence. You're going to have to go down. You're going to have to do things in life that make you uncomfortable. You're going to have to do things in life that are going to push you beyond your boundaries. And you can either let those things destroy you mentally or physically, or you can let them make help you grow as an individual. And that's what is happening here with so many of these characters is they're all being put in situations that are very uncomfortable because now more so than ever, you're dealing with more of the living than the dead. The dead are a problem and they're easy. Nobody cares about the, the dead. They can take out zombies, no problem. The people of Alexandria may have a hard time of it because they're scared, but they can quickly get over that. It's when you have to go after the living who's attacking you and threatening you, that becomes problematic. It, it's, it's, it's hard. And so Morgan hangs out with a psychoanalyst in the woods, learns to use a staff as a weapon, and gets his sanity back all the while suppressing the monster that controlled him instead of taking control of it. I, this episode wasn't bad. It just, to me, it wasn't necessary. Um, <clears throat> it took away from the plot and the pace of the show, as far as I'm concerned. You had a really great buildup going on. You had all these new characters. We had all these new, um, we had a, 
these wolves coming in and attacking. It was quite interesting. It was different. It was new. It was fresh. And then you kind of break away and, and you you slowed up the show, in my opinion. You broke the pace of the show. We we didn't really need it to understand that he was trying to save a wolf because that's what it ended up breaking to. Or you know, or maybe we did, but but I don't know if it needed to be in an entire episode. I just don't know. I, I don't know if we needed an entire episode dedicated to Morgan and his story. It's really not that complicated, especially because they really oversimplified it anyway in this season and or this episode. They didn't give you much detail. Morgan hangs out with this guy for a while and I guess just kind of comes to terms with the dude saying you don't really see him reading the book or doing a whole lot to better his mind. You do see him kind of doing chores or practicing his staff work and the guys kind of teach him about this Aikido. But the idea it's it's still a, it's a, still a summary. And it, and it's again I just not so sure that that was the way I would have done it. I think you could have very easily melded that into a, an episode with other things going on. Also the Aikido code, you know, it's great in theory, but I'm, I'm pretty sure that it's going to get you and others killed in this world. I think we see that representation. I think the representation of like, I think this guy, the psychoanalyst guy that he hangs out with in the woods, him dying is almost like the, the writers telling you like, yeah, Aikido's, and your in theory is great, but it's not going to work here because the guy that's teaching it, he's dead. Now the world took him and they took him quick. And so, I mean, the idea that all life is precious in a moral in in a moral one and a one that we should is a moral one. And I think it's the one that we should all live up to and believe. I do believe that all, I agree hundred percent personally, you know, as a Christian, I hundred percent believe this. I think that all life was created by God for a specific purpose. So yes, I believe all life is precious. So I understand the code, but I also know there's th- there's evil and where there's evil, it must be casted out. And sometimes this means avoiding those people, right? Like we do in our daily lives. We know somebody that's malevolent. We don't associate with them. Other times it may mean defending yourself or someone else. The idea that letting the person who wants to kill you go is the best choice. I don't know. I mean, for who? Them, maybe for them, definitely for them. They would appreciate you letting them go, but it's certainly not the best choice for you and not anyone you care about. At the end of this episode, it cuts back to Morgan um, talking to a wolf in the Alexandria prison. So what it's done um, is it set you up to, to see what Morgan's going to try to do the same thing that this guy did, to, this psychoanalyst did to Morgan. So Morgan thinks, okay, I'm going to lock him up and I'm going to teach him about Aikido and we're going to change this guy. Because I believe everyone can change. That's what Morgan thinks. We can all come back. Um, and it just so happens that this this is to be the guy that he let go the first time. So the guy he let go the first time and locked in the car has managed to make his way back, once again attacking him. You know, there's a saying, fool me once, shame on you, and then fool me twice, shame on me. I think uh, Morgan should take heed to this, personally. Sadly, he doesn't. And it really only leads to putting others at risk. Sure, the the wolf technically saves Denise later on. Um but he's the reason she was in was in was placed in that position in the first place. So no, you, you don't really get a pass on that. And you later hear Morgan try to kind of use that as justification for letting him live when he was talking to Rick when they're going after Carol. He goes, see, he changed. Rick, 
he he changed. He went after. He saved Denise. If, if I hadn't helped him live, then Denise may have died. It's like, mm, okay, maybe he did. But again, had he had been dead, Denise would still be in the infirmary where it's safe. She wouldn't have left the infirmary to go to the the holding cell to treat his wounds, and then which would eventually lead him to break out and take her as a hostage. So you you kept the wolf alive and almost got your only doctor killed. There's, there's no justification for this at all. I don't know if the show was intentionally trying to do that, like if they were trying to justify his actions, or if this was just Morgan's twisted point of view and we're all kind of supposed to see through it. Um, the, the overall theme of this show, this, this series, really seems to be like forgiveness and trusting. You see the same kind of scenario play out a lot where um, it, it's kind of like everyone is hanging on like a loose tooth mentally and wants to just kind of hold hands and sing Kumbaya with the folks that try to kill them um, as, as if this is the moral high road that we should all take, even though it almost always comes back to bite them all in the ass. The, the theme is sure I'm dead, but at least I did the right thing. That's kind of how it comes across. And, and maybe so, maybe it is the right move. Maybe you don't punish your enemies or fight back. Maybe you forgive those who literally just tried to kill you uh, who then usually end up killing you or someone else or causing some sort of catastrophe. I mean, listen, I understand there's a balance and I believe that that's what the seasons might. I think that maybe that's what the season's trying to show is that maybe they're trying to convey the difficulty of, of trusting people uh, at the difficulty of not killing everyone that crosses you it, for the sake of your sanity. You know, it's kind of like sure sure you could take out all your enemies and, and get, get that safety that you want so bad, but you could also lose your sanity, you know, and, and what's worse losing safety or losing your sanity. You know, think about it, you know, what, do you, which one do you want? And then of course there's also the chance that it could lead you down a path of malevolence and you could end up being a governor or a wolf or worse who we meet later, a savior for instance. But this kind of leads back to my previous point of, of finding that inner monster. Carol did this to some degree, but we find out later she kind of loses it as well, like Morgan did. You step up and you do what's right and what is necessary. In the moment for the protection of the ones you love, you understand that sometimes that means you have to do something really bad. You have to do some really bad stuff, things that you wouldn't normally want to do. But you come to terms with it, accept it, and know, what it, know that it makes you stronger and not weaker. You never lose sight that people are people. And not all of them are bad. You could take the fight to your enemy and not lose your trust in humanity and not lose your mind. Understand that, yes, you're fighting these these people, but the only reason why you're fighting them is because they're threatening you. And there is no other choice in the matter. It is a balance and one that few master, as far as I'm concerned. Even in the real world today, this is a tough thing to accomplish. It's very hard for us to really stay on the straight and narrow, but we all have to do it. We all have to try and we can't ignore it because if you do, you will figuratively or literally in the case of this show die. If you don't step up and do what's right, you don't step up and make the hard decisions. You will figuratively die inside. You will die. You'll become a shrill of a human being. You'll have deep problems. Psychologically, your relationships will struggle and that's just the way life is. Life is life is a catastrophe. It is what it's just the way it goes. You're born into this world and then you die. And in, in between all that, you have 
moments of happiness and joy. And then you also have moments of strife and, 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 you know, struggle. And so what do you do when the, what do you do when the storm comes? Do you cower or do you batten down the hatches and you stand strong in it? You know, if you cowered, yeah, you might live, but you, you may not. And so you can't ignore this stuff. It's the worst possible outcome is to let this thing consume you and kill you. And so after this, we get some, some filler, uh, things to help kind of move the plot along. Uh, Maggie kind of wants to set off to find Glenn cause Glenn hasn't come back yet. Obviously we still think he's dead. And Aaron joins her. We find out she's pregnant. Uh, she ends up telling Aaron, that's pretty cool. Uh, but remember, we still think Glenn's dead. Um, from here, we cut back to Daryl, Abraham, and Sasha. And unfortunately for them, they kind of have a run-in with a group of bad dudes. They are they have gotten the herd far enough away, and now they're breaking back off to come back to Alexandria. And in the process of that, um, they get shot at uh, by just some random group of people we don't know much about them at this point other than it's just another group and they shot at him. Uh, they all, they all get separated and Daryl is, um, on his own and ends up kind of, I guess the, the motorcycle kind of dies on him, uh, because he's kind of pushing it along in a burned down forest. And so he kind of hides it and he's running, he's walking through the forest and he comes across three people that end up holding him hostage um, it seems like they're on the run from some, someone and, and they think that Daryl is part of that group that's chasing them. Daryl will eventually break free, uh, when one of the women collapses, but finds out she is a diabetic because he ends up, he takes one of their bags. He opens up the bag and finds out, finds her insulin. Um, and so Daryl having the big heart goes back to them and gives them the medicine. And at this point, the group ends up finding, finding them all. The group that was chasing the group of three finds all four of them. They realize Daryl isn't with them and for a short time befriend Daryl. But it, of course it ends up with Daryl losing his bike and crossbow as the last two of the three take it from them from him and drive off. So the, the girl who was insulin resist, who was type one diabetic, she ends up getting bit uh, in the most stupid way possible, but it happens. Um, <clears throat> I find it interesting I don't know how a type one diabetic would survive in the apocalypse because you have to have insulin and it's not like insulin is just hanging out everywhere, but Hey, God bless her for making it this long. I mean, in theory, we're like six years into this thing. So, uh, but for whatever reason, the group kind of turns on Daryl there. They seem to be pretty skittish, very scared, uh, of this group that's chasing them. And so they take Daryl's crossbow and bike and drive off leaving him alone. Um, this is kind of a great dose of reality where sometimes doing the right thing or trying to do the right thing just gets, gets you hurt or worse. You know, Daryl was trying to let them in. He was going to take them back to Alexandria and it seemed like those, they just didn't have it. They didn't want anything to do with it. But again, you have to try and Daryl, you know, he wasn't wrong here. He had no idea the shitstorm he stepped into and you know, the desperation of these people were in because of the groups, the group chasing them and how powerful that group is. We'll later find out much about more about that group. And so then, well, after after all that, in the next episode, we found out Glenn is alive. Oh, joy. And Enid 
just so happened to be right where he was at. What are the odds of that? <laughs> I hate this writing so much. It's like of all the places that Enid could be, she just happens to be really, literally right on the roof of the building where Glenn is laying on the alley. Um, and, and for no good reason, there's no explanation as to why she just happened to end up there. Um, and from here he proceeds to follow her and explain why she needs to stop running away from her problems or something. I don't know. Either way, he convinces her because of course he did. Um, the show's invested too much into Enid and they're not going to just let her walk away into the sunset. Uh, so we knew she wasn't going to go away. They eventually get back to Alexandria and they find it to be overrun. Uh, and to make matters worse, the building the truck crashed into has now collapsed and taken the wall out, letting all the walkers in. Uh, the entire community retreats into their homes and tries to come up with a plan. And meanwhile, Sasha, Abraham, and Daryl end up meeting back up uh, and they have their first run in. They, they end up meeting back up because Daryl found a fuel truck and they get their first run in with a group called the saviors, the saviors, pretty bad dudes on motorcycles, a kind of a motorcycle group. And Daryl ends up blowing them up with an RPG, which is pretty awesome. Also, by the way, Abraham found that RPG, just something to note here. And listen, this is me being, this is me being super picky at this point. But you can kind of Google these things. And honestly, it, I don't even know if you have to be an expert to know this. Abraham found that RPG uh, on a military, a U.S. military Humvee and a dead soldier, U.S. soldier. Um, the U.S. military does not use RPGs. That stands for rocket propelled grenades. Uh, we typically use an AT-4 rocket launcher or a small SMAW rocket launcher. Um, they're a little more sophisticated weapons. The AT4 is more compact, uh, single shot, single use. But RPGs are are a little cheaper, less accurate launchers. They're typically seen being used by lesser armies, such as the Afghan armies and other armies in the Middle East. But whatever, he found it. It's just not accurate, and I hate that. You, you know, you can really, you can really do a little bit of research. It t- it'll take you five minutes, you know, and you'll know that's not it. But either way, they found it. That's fine. Whatever. Um, and no, you would not stumble across a rocket-propelled grenade launcher um, anywhere in the United States <laughs> uh, unless it was illegally owned. I don't believe you can legally own those things. Um, so anyway, they got it. And Daryl used it to blow up the entire biker gang, which was pretty cool. Um, it definitely wouldn't have happened the way it did, though. They're not, the explosion on those things isn't that big, but nonetheless, it was still a cool scene. Cutting back to Alexandria, Rick, Michonne, and Carl, and the rest of the group are held up in a house. Now, just for a recap, last season ended with Rick killing Pete, the drunk who beat his wife and who Rick had the hots for. Um, they're all held up in, their, in her house now with her two sons, one who has kind of a big chip on his shoulder. You see that very early on in the season, and he kind of wants revenge. Uh, especially it seems more or less now on Carl because I think he believes Carl kind of stole his girlfriend Eden, which just kind of lends to him being even more pissed off. Either way, he's angry because his dad was killed. He's bitter about it. You can understand that to a degree, even though his dad was kind of a dick. And Carl tells him that later on. Um, so this little punk pulls a Glock out on Carl in the street prior to the walkers bre- breaching the wall. Lucky for Carl, the zombies did breach the wall at that moment. And, but now when Carl and them get in the house, uh, with the rest of them, the kid tries it again and Carl, and them start fighting in the garage. They're making a bunch of noise and they end up breaking a window. 
leading uh, all the dead to them. They all start coming in and breaching through that door. Now, here's the thing. Carl could have finished this kid off or at the very least told Rick and this kid's mother what he did, what he tried to do, uh, but he didn't. He lied. And interesting to note that this lines up with the theme of this season. Again, once again, the few last episodes where people are forgiving those who are actively trying to kill them as if it's some moral high ground. I'm going to forgive you and move on because I'm the better person. And somehow it works. Like the, the person who tries to kill them changes, has a change of heart. Like um, what's his name with Glenn? It's like, Oh yeah, you're, you're right the whole time. I'm sorry. Thank you for not killing me. It's like, okay, I don't know how, I'm not so real, sure how, how realistic that is, but Carl pulls this move too. Um, but, you know, in these certain situations, I don't believe you can do this. <clears throat> and, and later on, when the group tries to escape the dead and it goes sideways, that kid once again pulls the gun again on Rick and Carl, which ends up getting Carl shot and losing his eye. Uh, there's a scene, they cover themselves up in Walker blood, and that's their only way out because the the dead are now in the house, trapped them upstairs, and they've got to get out because otherwise, what are they going to do? Um, and so the mother and her children have never done this before, and they don't even know if it's going to work. But, of course, Rick and the others have done it before, and they know it will work. So they have to trust Rick once again. And for the most part, it starts working pretty well, but the youngest son suddenly starts freaking out. He starts listening to what Carol told him about how the monsters are going to come get him or blah, blah, blah. And he starts panicking. And when he does, it alerts all the dead around him and they go right after him. And then of course the mother screams at the top of her lungs as she's watching her son get chewed up and she gets bit. Um, and so this son, I guess gets pissed off. He's like, I've had enough of this shit. You guys have ruined everything pulls the gun out on Carl again, shoots him, shoots, and uh, I guess just glances Carl's eye because it doesn't obviously go through his eye because it would kill him if it did, but he lost his eye. And I found this scene interesting as, as it's kind of symbolic, um, and it's kind of act- it's actually as old as time, and it's something that goes all the way back to the Egyptians, which is um, it, it's, it's symbolic in, in a sense that if you take your eye off of evil, then then you will lose it. Or, or more, possibly. Um, there's an old Egyptian story about one of their gods, Horus. And Horus lost his eye in a tussle with Seth. He's another, he's a malevolent figure. I believe a malevolent, like his brother. I think that's who it is or something like that. And the idea is Horus has to have, he has one eye over the kingdom and he has, or, or all that is good, all that is represented as good. And he has one eye on evil as to make sure it stays in check. And so, you know, this is also the story of the Lion King where Mufasa takes his eyes off his evil uncle and the evil uncle and him fight and then he dies. Well, well, Horus fights with Seth because he allows Seth to get unruly because he takes his eye off of Seth. He, he no longer pays any attention to him. Seth gets unruly, they get in a fight, and he ends up getting taken out. And in the process, he loses his eye. It's like a figure of speech. It's the idea that you should never take your eye off the evil that's around you, right? So or less it will consume you and kill you. It's also a little bit of the same in the biblical story of Cain and Abel. It's very similar in some, in some regards, not completely. And that's what happens to Carl. He, he literally, this happens to Carl. He, he lies to his father and in the process takes his eyes off the malevolent kid who wants revenge. And well, the kid takes his eye. 
we must always keep one eye on the evil around us. And this translates to really just being self-aware of your surroundings and the people around you, knowing who around you is good for you and who isn't, who's trying to take, take something from you or manipulate you and not putting yourself in dangerous or vulnerable situations. So Carl gets shot and he loses his eye. The woman and both her kids are eaten by zombies and Rick for a moment is sad, but he quickly gets over it as we'll cover that in a moment here in in the future. They Rick ends up picking up Carl and they rush to the infirmary where he gets treated. Rick loses it and goes outside to fight all the dead, which inspires everyone else to join in. And somehow they manage to kill all these walkers and then, and nobody dies in the process of it. I mean, there were hundreds of walkers, hundreds of them. Again, the idea that they wouldn't have been overcome by the horde is a bit of a stretch or one of them wouldn't have gotten taken down. Uh, But you know, Hey, it's how it was written. But luckily for Daryl does come through at the right to, at the nick of time as always with this show that tends to have the, the, the walking dead in the last few seasons is very good about having someone show up just in the nick of time to help everyone out. Um, everyone in this show is extremely lucky <laughs> when it comes to that. Uh, Daryl comes through um, with his fuel truck, lights a massive fire uh, and then, that kind of helps thin the herd out a little bit. It helps break some of them away from the group while they're kind of taking them out. And so that's the end of that. Again, that's, you know, we're already halfway, more than halfway through the season at this point. And I have to say, it's not a bad season so far. Yeah, there's some cliche things going on and, thing, and some writing that I don't quite like, but for the most part, it's been a pretty decent season. And at this point now, it's been a few weeks and the, the town's been cleaned up, the walls fixed, and everyone seems to be doing pretty good. Everyone's going about their lives. You have Carol baking cookies for everyone. And even Carl seems to be getting along just fine after his injury. He's got a little patch over his eye, but he's doing all right. Uh, Rick and Daryl go out then in search of goods where they come across a man who happens to look like Jesus and, well, is called Jesus. Uh, Personally, as a Christian, I hate this. I don't like it. I think it's a little blasphemous. But overall, the character is okay. I do like his character. Uh, I don't think he's a badly written character. I don't think he's too horribly over the top. I get it. It's kind of funny. People, all my friends used to call me Jesus because I look like Jesus. Like, okay, I get it. But still, it's like, eh. Um, I don't know about that. But anywho, uh, but his character's good. He's a good character. Well-written, not over the top like we've been getting lately. We do get some really over-the-top characters. Um, seems like somebody you could probably meet or run into in real life. He has some abilities to fight, which is good with some hand-to-hand combat skills. He beats up on Rick and Daryl a little bit, kind of fools them. Uh, but they eventually get him, uh, and they take him back to Alexandria. He's unconscious. He gets hit by the truck full of food as it's rolling back into the to the river. So, unfortunately, Rick and them lose an entire truck of food and, and supplies, which sucks. Um, but they take him back to Alexandria and place him in that little holding cell that they have. He gets out, and he finds Rick's house. How did he know where Rick slept? I don't know. Uh, why doesn't? this freak Rick out considering at any other time it would have, and there would be like no talking whatsoever. Don't, don't know. 
Um, guess Brick was feeling pretty lenient and chill that morning because he ended up sleeping with Michonne that night. Oh, yes, by the way, Rick got over very quickly from that other woman. Uh, he got over from the cute blonde very fast and is now hooking up with Michonne. Uh, to be honest, with this relationship at first, it seemed a bit off to me. I like I didn't really see a connection there uh, or pick up on one. I tried to see if I was I missed it this time around from the time I from the time they met at the prison up until now. Like maybe I just missed it the first time I watched the season. So I was actively paying attention, knowing that they were going to get together, but I never picked up on any kind of cues. Uh, I don't hate it. I don't think there's anything wrong with it. Um, I just didn't see the story taking us there. But hey. They're a thing now, and that's probably lucky for Jesus because Rick is usually pretty tense and has an itchy trigger finger. Uh, this is kind of when we learn about the Hilltop community. It's just one of many communities that Alexandria will eventually run into. Um, this title, this episode is actually titled The Next World, which is a good title for it as this kind of ushers on a completely different chapter in the entire Walking Dead saga. So no longer are you going to be fighting small groups of survivors and the dead, but now you're really going to be engaging with massive communities and the dead really kind of take a back seat to the story. They become going forward. They're going to become kind of just something that's there really just to add tension to whatever's going on between the groups of people that are fighting. Um, the old world is dead. The new world is here and in it are communities trying to survive and some are good. Some are bad. And Rick is Rick and his group will have to navigate that over the course of the next season. Uh, the Hilltop is the first of that group, and Jesus takes them all there to see the community and possibly work together with some sort of trade agreement. Um, during this, they meet the leader, but unfortunately that leader is attacked by his own people. They were sent to him. They were sent to send him a message from the saviors and a man called Negan. This is where we're introduced to the second community, and it's more like a mafia where they find you and extort you for protection. They want half of what you have, and they kill someone to show you they're not playing around. And what's the protection from? Well, them. Just like the mob boss tells the store clerk he must pay for protection, otherwise he lose his store, that protection money protects the store clerk from the mob. It's not protecting him from some outside force that magically is going to show up and take it. It's protecting him from the mob. It's extortion. And that's basically Negan and the, the, the saviors. That's what they do. Uh, Rick... Will Rick strikes a deal with the injured Hilltop leader that Rick and his people will take the saviors and Negan out in exchange for a portion of their food supply. And so the group sets off to go make a plan. They end up attacking an outpost and killing everyone in it. However, that's just an outpost and not the entire savior community or Negan like they think Rick and their group and the audience at this point think that they accomplished their mission, but they didn't. They just started a war. Uh, Daryl, Sasha, and Denise later on go on a supply run for medic for medicine because the medicine was low. When Denise is killed by one of the saviors, and the one that actually happened to take Daryl's crossbow and bike, and from here we learn that the saviors and Negan are still alive and very strong. And meanwhile, Carol decides she can't take being around people anymore and fighting for them anymore, and decides to bounce. Rick and Morgan then also go after her and try to find her. Uh, Carol has a run-in with a truck of saviors on their way to Alexandria. She ends up killing all but one of them. Uh, Rick heads back to Alexandria when they both realize the saviors are coming for them, and Morgan sets off to find an injured Carol. 
Carol is eventually found, but escapes Morgan again, only to be attacked by the last savior in the truck. He shoots her in the arm and leg, so she bleeds out slowly, but ends up being killed by Morgan. Finally, Morgan makes the tough call and shoots somebody. It's like, come on. Is this a character arc? Does this mean Morgan's kind of found his his inner monster and, and can tame it? I don't know. I doubt it. We shall see. Uh, he's probably going to have to because things are going to get really ugly really soon. And so after that, um, two people come up on them out of nowhere. One's on a horse and the other one who is a guy who was looking for his horse that Morgan happened to find. Um, and so they pick up Carol and take them away to uh, safety. And then back at Alexandria, Maggie suddenly starts having pains in her abdomen related to her baby. Rick and their group decide to pack up and take her to Hilltop where they have a doctor since Denise is now dead. Folks, um, there's certain people who don't go outside the wire in the apocalypse, and one of them is your doctor. I don't care. They can make the excuse of, well, I know what I'm looking for. It's like, just write it down. I'll find it. Anyway, though, the group sets off and immediately meets a roadblock of saviors. Uh, Rick and the group get out. They tell Rick that they must hand over all, all they have and kneel. That's the group. That's the terms. But Rick counters that with giving them all that they have. Obviously that doesn't happen. And so Rick and the group try to go another way and hit, they hit another roadblock and then another and another until they decide to set out on foot to get Maggie to the hilltop. It's nighttime. Um, they think that they can kind of move in the shadow of the darkness and kind of get around these guys, but the saviors find them anyway in the woods and lead them to a trap where Eugene and the RV are at. And from here, they are told to kneel. It's interesting to know Rick, Rick is clearly freaked out at this point. Uh, this is a look that we've not seen from Rick since probably season one. It's the look of, Oh shit, this may be the end kind of look like, we're not getting out of this. It's interesting to note that Rick's crazy eyes kind of come back, but this time they have a touch of despair in them. Uh, he looks like he's like, damn, this is not good. This, this might be the end of all of us. Uh, like, like he knows that this time there's no way out. And then from here we get to meet the man himself, Negan. Um, now we don't learn too much about him yet, but from his, from first impressions, this is, this is one bad dude. Uh, Negan is smart. He's calculated. And he's very much in control. He has a level of arrogance to him that's backed up by his level of intelligence. Uh, the group is surrounded by hundreds of armed soldiers, all of which work for Negan. Uh, Negan is kind of essentially the godfather here. He's the mafia boss and has and he's ruling with an iron fist. He's got complete control over that area. Uh, basically, Negan kind of explains what the terms will be. Alexandria will give half of everything. They have, and if that's not enough, they'll give more, which in other words, the saviors will take as much as they want, and Rick and the group are just going to have to deal with it. <coughs> but unfortunately, since Rick and his crew have killed so many of his saviors, and Negan says himself, I just can't have that, Negan says there's a debt to pay, and someone's going to have to die. You know, he begins to kind of go to each member, talking to each one, mumbling on and on and on about stuff. And the more he talks, the more you realize, like, this guy's real serious, real smart. Uh, but he ends up kind of doing a little eeny, meeny, miny, mo thing uh, to decide who he's going to kill because he says, I just can't decide. <clears throat> and that kind of really goes into showing the true evil of this guy. He's, this isn't a guy, this guy's going to sit here and do eeny, meeny, miny, mo because he knows that that right there is torturous. He knows who he's going to take out. But he is, 
he wants to really, really rub it in that these people that Rick and his group screwed up, and he's doing a damn good job of it. Uh, and so he does that. He me and my moan. He picks him, and he says, "You can cry, you can scream, you can do whatever you want to do." Blah blah blah. And then he takes one of them out. Now we don't know who it is, as the camera angle is from the perspective of the character. But we hear everyone scream. The camera goes black, and the season ends. You know, and this got me to sit back and kind of ponder for a bit about about all this. And I, and I wondered if this situation could have been avoided. You always kind of sit back and go, was there a way that Rick could have avoided all of this? Because for some reason I had the idea that this was kind of the arrogance of Rick that led to this war. Uh, prior to this season starting, I, I remember this scene. I remember all this pretty well, but for whatever reason in my mind, I thought it was it was Rick's arrogance thinking, well, we could take, we were, this is what we do. We just take out these bad guys. We can handle this. No problem. <clears throat> but after rewatching the season, I, I don't, I don't think that's the case. Now, sure. Rick is a bit arrogant at times and he's very confident that his group can handle the saviors. And, and then, you know, and after all they've been through, he has some reason to believe that he's not over the top arrogant. That's like, I, I'm not even thinking about how, how I'm going to do it. We're just going to go do it. Cause I, I know we can, I'm better than everyone kind of thing. So I don't think it was that. But we also see that see what the saviors have done to say the hilltop, the three people Daryl met and those the, what the bikers were going to do to Daryl, Sasha and Abraham. You know, these aren't good people and it would have been only a matter of time before Negan found them and basically extorted them. And one thing we learn about is that every time they come up in a new community, they set the terms, the community can agree to the terms or not. If they do agree to the terms, they won't be destroyed. However, they still kill some people just to, sh- to send a message. And so it's not like you're going to get out of this clean with a clean slate. Somebody's going to get taken out. So the reality is the saviors are, are pretty are a pretty powerful group with a ton of resources and manpower. Um, I think the blockades at every road kind of proved that, and it showed them, you know, they have a deep knowledge of the local terrain and its roads. You know, at first you kind of think, that whole scene where they're blocking all the roads and you think, well, what are the odds that the saviors picked the perfect time to, to be there to block off, you know, Rick and Rick and, and all of them. And my, my thing is like, well, first of all, Rick has the resource or Negan has the resources to put people wherever he wants to put them. It's not like they have anything else better to do. Rick is obviously a huge threat because Rick has taken out an entire compound. He's taken out a, a group, the group of bikers, he's taken out the guys in the truck. So Negan knows at this point, Rick, Rick's group is strong. They're competent. They're taking out my guys left and right. So we need to dedicate maximum resources to, to capturing his people as much as possible. And so it's very likely that they, they set up blockades everywhere in hopes to capture maybe a few of them. Now it just so happened that they got bad luck and Maggie got sick and everyone headed out. But not everyone was in that RV. You know, there's still a lot of people back at Alexandria who have no idea what's going on right now. And there's also two characters who are um, out on a on a material run, which is, uh, what's her name? Tara and Heath leave to go on a two-week supply run. Well, Tara was pregnant in real life, and so they did a pretty good job at hiding that. And uh, she... I think she had her baby, so she went on maternity leave in the middle of the show. So that's why she went on a nice long supply run. It's clever. It's a good way of doing it. Uh, but again, she's not there. So there's a lot of people that aren't even there. 
And so the, but that again, kind of, to me, that scene shows just how powerful and smart the saviors are. This isn't just some run in the mill group of survivors who are idiots that you're just going to get the jump on and win. You know, Negan and his people are very calculating. They're very, they're strategic. And, uh, that, that whole scene kind of set that up to go, Ooh, I don't, I don't know if this is going to end so well for, for the group, because you generally feel like for a while, maybe not, maybe you felt like maybe more people were going to go with the governor, but even at, with the governor, you didn't think he was unbeatable. But in this scene, this end scene, you almost feel like this is it for Rick and the group. Negan's going to take most of them out. What's, you know, this is going to be interesting. How is this going to play out? And so Rick has his hands full here. And uh, this, this, and his group is not large enough at all or capable enough to take on the saviors alone. And Negan is about to thin the herd out even a little bit more too. So we'll see how this goes down the, into the next season. I know how it goes because I watched the, I've already seen the following season, but I haven't seen it in a long time. It'll be interesting to rewatch it again. And that is basically the summarization of season six and my, my take on it. it. It was, I think the better, I think it was better than season five. And, and the reason why I think it was better than season five was because, you know, season five had that police officer Atlanta story in the middle of it, which I just thought was really stupid and a waste of time. Uh, it was a lot of kind of in between this, this season had some in between too and some filler, but it wasn't as, it was a little more interesting because this entire season, season six was really, it's really about building up, uh, Alexandria and, and Rick and his group to take on Negan. That's really what this season's all about. It's not really, there's not anything really major like you've seen in previous seasons where you have all these different storylines, different engagements and different things happening. This is really kind of uh, little stories throughout each season. The wolf being the, the, the big one. Uh, you get the kind of backstory on Morgan, which was kind of whatever, but then you have people kind of surviving and going on runs and then finding other people and, and run-ins, but those runs end up kind of having them run into survivors. So the survivors are, or the, the saviors, excuse me, are, are, are starting to kind of show up and rear their their heads. And uh, all in all, I thought it was a pretty good season, lots of action, uh, very easy to watch. Um, it's interesting to see the character arcs that are going on. You see Morgan's kind of come back to it, but then you see Carol's losing it. I mean, she's all but... Um, she kind of snaps, which is really weird because you wouldn't expect that because in season five, especially in the beginning with the, with the, the terminus people, she came on as such a strong character who was dependable and really felt like, um, she could become a predominant leader of this group. And then out of nowhere, now she's very kind of she's almost falling back. She's, she's not, she doesn't like that. She's killed 18 people and now probably 20 at this point when, by the end of the, by the end of the season. And of course, more than that, because she takes out the truck of saviors and she's trying to avoid it. But, you know, again, she's, these are things that these people, they're not, they're not soldiers. You know, most of these people are not killers. They're not trained soldiers. They're not, they didn't, they never wanted to be put in a situation where they had to fight the living, but now they are. And some of them are taking it really well. And some of them are not taking it so well. So it's very interesting to see how that's playing out. Even Maggie's situation when she gets taken hostage by the, by a group of saviors and her fighting her way out of that and how it, 
it affects her mentally. Even though she was completely in the right to defend her life, it still took, took a toll on her. And, you know, realistically that can happen because you, you don't want to have to do those things. But these people are putting them in situations where they have to make those tough decisions and those tough calls. The question is, how will it change them going forward? You know, you see how it's, what it's done to Rick uh, over the last episode or last two seasons. So all in all, good season. I thought not too bad. A lot of, a lot of cl- some bad, a little bad writing here and there, but we haven't, ju- we haven't jumped ship yet. You know, we haven't jumped the shark. Um, and as, as much as I didn't want the, you know, he's he, here's not here's episode with Morgan. It still wasn't a terrible, terrible episode. I just don't know if it needed to be made, but it gets 8.2. Ironically enough, it has a high rating on IMBD. So <clears throat> apparently people don't agree with me. They must have liked that episode. Uh, ironically, the lowest rated episode in season six is the last episode where Negan comes out 6.9. Um, that's one of my favorite episodes. So it goes to show you that sometimes my opinions may not always be the opinions of the masses, but that's the way it goes. And so on that note, folks, thank you so much for listening. I appreciate it. Look for part seven next week. I'm starting season uh, seven. So look for part seven coming up. It's going to be pretty great. I'm excited to get back into it. Also look for some other rant updates. We got some more episodes coming your way, hopefully later this week. Got a lot to talk about, a lot of things going on. Thank you so much, everyone, for listening. I'd like to know how you thought about season six. If you're following me along on this journey and this, this series, you decided to go back and start rewatching it and rewatching it with me. I would love to know what you thought about season six. What was your favorite episode? Maybe you love the Morgan episode. Maybe you hated the last episode or maybe you loved it all or hated it all. I would love to know. You can hit me up at davidking.therant at gmail.com. You can email me. You can also hit me up at the rant with David King on Facebook and Instagram. You can also hit me up on Twitter, the real DM King. Let me know what you think. I'd love to respond to you and talk to you and hear your feedback. And as always, if you love the show, tell a friend that helps out more than you could possibly know. You can also rate and review us on Apple, iTunes, Spotify, and Google. That rating helps more than you know. Uh, the more five stars we get, the higher we'll move up in the list. We'll get, we'll actually get noticed. And that would be truly, truly amazing. And it would help me out a lot. And I'd appreciate that. So on that note, folks, thank you so much for everything. Have a good night, and we look forward to talking to you soon.